0: Greetings and welcome to another Friday edition of A Wounded Head Now Sacred. We will be talking about the fifth Sunday after Pentecost's gospel lesson, which is from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Sometimes called the parable of the good Samaritan or the parable of the merciful Samaritan. And it's pretty well known amongst... um, religious folk as being this tale of a man walking along the road, gets attacked and he is passed by, by uh, a priest and a Levite. And then a Samaritan comes up and helps the man out and gets him into uh, an inn and sends him on a way, on his way. So I think it's interesting that um, we we need to look at it's, Traditionally been called the parable of the good Samaritan, even though it doesn't say that anywhere in the gospel of Luke, doesn't call him, you know, quote unquote, good. Which I think is interesting because we need to sort of break that down a little bit because I think that 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 assumes that not all Samaritans are good. You know, it's just a different perspective or a way to look at what's happening in this gospel text and what Jesus is trying to do in this parable. So we can't make that assumption about this good Samaritan. So the merciful Samaritan works, I think, but maybe just the parable of the Samaritan or the parable of the man on the road. I also want to talk a little bit about that quote unquote good, because I, I know, and this will make some people uncomfortable, but Throughout my lifetime, I've been called, you know, the good Indian. So I think we need to be careful about how we assign, you know, adjectives to people who are who are different from us or to make this a judgment or assumption, because that's what happens is that if we call something good, then we assume that everything that isn't like that is bad. We set up dichotomies in a way, and that's kind of an us versus them type of thinking and you know that's not what this parable is is all about so you know let's just take that word out of there and and move on so i want to begin by talking about well i've already begun so i'm going to continue talking about this jerusalem road and what this man is doing walking down this road Now, from what I've read is that this isn't a very safe road. And that, well, obviously there are robbers along there. There are people who accost this man who's traveling on his own. It's just everybody would know that you wouldn't be traveling on this road by yourself. It's just not something that you would do. So there's, you know, the first sort of challenge in this parable is kind of what's going on. So I, I just... I want to lift that up as just some background knowledge for you to, to think about and to uh, sort of chew on for a little bit. So the parable is preceded in this gospel text by a discussion between a Torah scholar or a lawyer. And he asks Jesus, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he quotes Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and says, love God, love your neighbor, basically. And then it says in the gospel text, wanting to justify himself or his behavior in a way, this Torah scholar asks, and who is my neighbor? So maybe this scholar is hoping to limit the neighbor in some way, because it you know might make adherence to the command easier. To define in a way who is my neighbor, I can check off, well, if such and such is my neighbor, or if, you know, we're talking about who lives next door to be a good neighbor in some way, is, uh, you know, make the the circle smaller of one's neighbors, is to uh, make the command easier to act in love towards them. But Jesus flips this around. In the parable, and instructs the Torah scholar that being a neighbor is like being a Samaritan, which would be a pretty countercultural thing for this Jesus to do. For the scholar to even think about being like a Samaritan is not something that he would ethnically or behaviorally want to do. So it's a challenge by Jesus to think of. The neighbor in a different way. And as Kalani cultural, I don't think the Torah scholar would have liked that too much. It would have been very condemning in a way of his worldview. So we take that parable and we know we have to ask in a way. And, and I like, it reminded me of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, which was a big show when I was growing up on PBS And uh, Fred Rogers was a Presbyterian pastor and he had this opening song, which was, won't you be my neighbor, which I, I think that kind of reminds us of this, but it, it takes that parable and, and moves it, you know, onto us, you know, almost as a plea for us to think about what it means to be neighbor to one another. What does it mean? I mean, it means we, you know, take care of others in desperate circumstances or those in need. We're very good at helping out one another. Um, We have all ways to connect, all different ways to connect to each other through social media, through cell phones. We can talk, text, and do all the things. And we are geared as human beings to do this to behave in such a way as to benefit the other. we Social sciences and behavioral psychology have shown that there are conditions that we've learned and have, in a way, been programmed genetically over time to benefit other people in our group, in our society. And we have found in science that natural selection and evolution isn't geared so much towards survival of the fittest, which was... You know what we've talked about in evolution and in social Darwinism, and you can think about that how how you want, but it's not survival of the fittest so much as it is survival of the kindest, which is what Darwin was trying to show in observing, especially human behavior, that people are kind, they're generous, they're compassionate, they have gratitude. They exist playfulness and they have love. And there's recent studies that show that our brains have developed in such a way as to promote things like this, which means in a way that we have evolved to be neighbor to one another in society. We have the neurological and behavioral tools to cooperate to our benefit and to the benefit of the community. And there's a little cost to us we have to sacrifice something to be altruistic to be kind and we have to give something of ourselves and we do that you know we're we're prone to do that but i find it interesting as i was researching this this week that another study shows that there are limits that we also tend to create dichotomies especially in a religious context we Decide who's in and who's out. Or we have this us versus them type of behavior. And I don't think we have to look too far to see that this is true. That this is our norm, so to speak, that we set people over and against one another. When I worked at the children's home, there would be all sorts of tattling, right? So... Kids would come up and say, you know, Herb, such and such is throwing rocks. Well, we don't throw rocks, right? So, But the reason that kids tattle is to show you how good they are, right? How, how they are following the rules. And so what's important is, well, yes, you know, little Jimmy shouldn't throw rocks. That's one of the rules. But also that, you know, I'm glad that you're not throwing rocks, right? The are you sort of reinforce their good behavior. So if we say, you know, we don't yell at them, we just acknowledge that, yes, you know, I'm glad that that's not you and that's not something we do, is it? And they shake their head and, and they walk away as if that's happened, right? So we, we create us versus them type of behavior. Like that person over there is doing this. Well, I'm glad that's not you. That's right. That's not me. So we define ourselves in a way as to what we are not. It's part of our nature to do this. A study was done in 2010 in Italy where images were viewed by subject who identified with a group. So what they would do is they would show a picture of a hand, and they would put either a soft Q-tip or cotton swab on the hand, or they would inject it with a needle. And everybody showed a certain amount of empathy, right? They could feel the needle and they would react in a way that said, yeah, I don't want to see that. I don't want that to happen to that person. But when they were shown a different image of a different skin tone of the hand, they would show less empathy to the syringe stick So that shows us when, I mean, there would be little to no response if it was of someone's different skin tone, one way or the other, right? Didn't matter. Which means we have empathy to people who look like us and act like us and talk like us in a way we are altruistic to a group that we have an affinity with, like our tribe, and we talk a lot in our society about tribes, like having you know groups that we uh, that we have that we share interests with. The problem with that is that we will separate ourselves and be altruistic to this certain group, and not to other groups. And so I believe that the parable of the Good Samaritan is so countercultural. I said Good Samaritan, the parable. <laughs> See, we're ingrained in that. The parable of the Samaritan is so countercultural that it it even goes against our ingrained human nature, which is interesting, right? Within, you know, maybe the last 15 years is how we're discovering this propensity to altruism, which we know we have. Who is my neighbor, right? Which is what the man asks of Jesus. And Jesus says, well, the neighbor is someone outside of your affinity group, someone who looks like the other, someone who is the other in either way. So Jesus tells this young man after he is asked, well, who is the neighbor, the one who showed mercy? Go and do likewise. So we are left with that challenge, and um, we'll talk a little bit more about what that means in our society and and in our church and in our communities and in our lives for uh, Sunday. But I'm going to leave you with this poem from June Jordan. Our earth is round, and among other things, that means that you and I can hold completely different points of view and both be right. The difference of our positions will show stars in your window I cannot even imagine. Your sky may burn bright with light, while mine at the same moment spreads beautiful to darkness. Still, we must choose how we separately corner the circling universe of our experience. Once chosen, our cornering will determine the message of any star and darkness we encounter. Again, that was June Jordan from 1970. So this weekend, good friends, may your sky burn with light. And may it spread beautiful. And may we find that the corner of our circling universe, of our experience is that God is love and God's love is for us. Have a great weekend, everybody.